Hello. You have discovered the Felon File. Felonfile.com is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Felon File is hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. The Shade of Blue Stories for Felon File Today. The Catchable But Not Fetchable Moonshiner. Introduction Music from Upbeat. By All Good Folks. Into Mr. Mischief. Scott. Your microphone is on. Thank you, Victoria, for starting us out. We appreciate you coming out today and helping us get the console up and going. It may sound a little bit different today. We're trying some new equipment and hoping things turn out and sound real good for you guys. Myself being a hobby podcaster, the recording and editing and putting all of uh, this together for you guys is uh, a learning process. So we hope, hope things sound pretty good for you guys. Well, as Victoria said, welcome back to another episode of Felon File. Our Shade of Blue story today, the catchable but not fetchable moonshiner. Now, when you think of Appalachian moonshining, you generally picture the old mountaineer with a long beard, floppy hat, the shotgun close at hand, toiling over a large copper kettle or still somewhere in the mountain backwoods. Working in law enforcement myself, I've learned not to put much stock into stereotypes. Not necessarily a good idea. The fact is, when it comes to moonshiners, there are probably as many women moonshiners and blockade-running women as there were men. Now, in the early days of illegal whiskey, the editor of the Del Norte newspaper, the San Juan Prospector, published an editorial that he had been asked not to write about the fact that the recent arrests of several local bootleggers and moonshine makers were women. Now his response that was published in his paper, writing that the truth of their crimes proved their guilt regardless of ideals about femininity. Quote, sex should make little difference in fact, women who stoop to disgrace their sex by peddling whiskey are deserving of no sympathy." Unquote. Uh, that was a California newspaper editor for you right there. One of those not deserving of such sympathy, according to the editor, but did have a lot of respect in her community, was known because of the local newspapers as the queen of the mountain bootleggers. Her name was Maggie Bailey. Maggie began making moonshine at the age of 17, and it became pretty much her life's work. She worked out of Clovertown in Harlan County, Kentucky. People in the community loved Maggie. She would help anyone who fallen on hard times or needed something. And she even helped several of the local high school kids to college. So before the education lottery kicked in, there was the queen of the mountain bootleggers, Maggie Bailey, 
making sure that uh, local kids made their got their education. Maggie looked like pretty much anyone's grandmother. She wore a house dress and an apron every day. Maggie Bailey never drank herself, but continued to sell moonshine well into her 90s. She called herself an old bootlegger. Said she started selling moonshine to help her family make ends meet. And she had her own code, she said. She wouldn't sell to children or young people or people that she called drunkards. Now, Maggie was a smart woman. She had educated herself on the Fourth Amendment. She knew about the laws of search and seizure and could quote certain cases right back to law enforcement or lawyers. Maggie had a great personality and was only convicted of moonshining once in her long career, though it was no secret in her community what she did for a living. Newspapers love to put labels on individuals, especially criminals. I guess it helps sell copy. Another woman they named the Rum Running Queen was 26 years old in 1928 and she was pretty much a prohibition outlaw. Her name was Willie Carter Sharp, who ran a bootlegging business running liquor across the Virginia line to other states. She survived many police chases where her vehicle was shot at and her tires blown off and she was run off the road and forced to wreck. In an interview after being arrested, Willie said, it was the excitement that got me. Cars scattering, dashing along the streets. I guess maybe Willie was just an adrenaline junkie. She was from Franklin County, Virginia, and federal agents testified in her trial that she had hauled more than 220,000 gallons of moonshine between the years of 1926 and 1931. That's a lot of alcohol. Now in that time frame between 1921 and 1932, she had been arrested 13 times for driving offenses. This is separate from her bootlegging offenses. She began piloting bootleg runs in 1926, uh, leading convoys of bootleggers as well as acting as a blocker, hindering police attempts to intercept the convoys. You know what Burt Reynolds was referred to as a blocker in the movie Smokey and the Bandit. And that character was actually supposed to be a moonshine blocker. Anyway, back to reality. Sharp reportedly became one of the best known rum runners in Virginia. After caught and tried and sentenced in 1932, Sharp started a three-year prison sentence for violations of the Volstead Act. Sharp did testify at a federal grand jury later that was investigating liquor smuggling. The federal agent that caught her, Samuel O. White, he made the final arrest of Sharp and was given and he accepted a $50 cash reward for doing so. Subsequently, he was charged criminally for accepting this gratuity and he was fired. Now you might think that's a bit harsh, but remember, this is the early 1930s. $50 in cash is equal to purchasing power today's money of over 1,070 some dollars today. So I guess the feds thought that Agent White's 
salary was quite enough and he didn't need that extra spending money. Another lady that was quite popular for her enterprising attitude was Nancy the Moonshiner, what the newspaper called her. She lived in Warren County, New Jersey in the 1880s. And she was known as an eccentric person who kept to herself except when selling her product. At night, she would spend time in the fall stealing apples from apple orchards near her home, using the stolen apples to make Jersey Lightning. If you're not familiar with what Jersey Lightning is, or Applejack, uh, it's distilled hard cider. She made a big business selling it and became well known for her cider. And the ladies of moonshining had clever ways of hiding their moonshine and their operations. It was easy for them to get away with their moonshining as they hid behind their aprons a lot of times. Mary Ann Morarity had a laundry business and she would hide bottles of hooch and baskets of clean laundry delivered to her customers. Esther Clark was known as the in-house bootlegger. She hid her moonshine in her chicken coop. When she went to the hen house, she was gathering a little bit more than just a couple of eggs for breakfast. To be a bootlegging moonshiner in the 1920s and 1930s during Prohibition in the Volstead Act was good money without a lot of unpleasant consequences usually. One woman in a federal grand jury admitted to making close to $30,000 a year now we are talking 1920s and 1930s. $30,000 a year is a good chunk of change by today's standards. Can you imagine how much that would be worth in 1920? That's huge. Another benefit was that women were given very light punishments when they were caught. Like one blockade runner was ordered to attend church every Sunday for two years as part of her probation. Often they were pardoned or they got their sentences commuted. Another businesswoman, referred to as Moonshine Mama, had her sentence commuted to just five days in jail as long as she promised to stop making moonshine and testified against the men that she was selling to. Our main character in today's Shade of Blue story, the story of Mahala Big Haley Mullins. It's another that knocks down that stereotypical moonshiner ideal. Her story is another good example of the anti-stereotype. Newspapers call Big Harley the largest woman in Tennessee. Mahala Mullins was perhaps the best known woman in Tennessee in the late 1800s. Her husband was also a local celebrity. It seems that he had been struck by lightning and survived it. Big Haley was a Melungeon. Now, if you've read my novel, Cop and Coin, you know a little about what the Melungeon people are and who they are. As the main character in that series of books, Sergeant Thomas Bishop was of Melungeon descent. Or if you've never read the book or the following two books, why not? It's available on Amazon. Check it out. Anyway, back to our Shade of Blue story. The Melungeons were a mysterious group of individuals. The experts called them triracial. 
They were supposedly living in the Appalachians way before Columbus got here. Their lineage was a mixture of European, Native American, and African American. One theory is that their descendants were from Portuguese sailors that DeSoto left behind, either on purpose or by accident, when he set up small settlements along his march looking for the Fountain of Youth on his way to the Mississippi River. Now, sometime after giving birth to her 19th child, yes, 19, she was infected with elephantitis or lymphatic filariasis. Elephantitis is a painful and disfiguring disease affecting the thyroid and the glands caused by an infection from parasites that are referred to as nematodes or roundworms. It's transmitted through the bite of infective mosquitoes. The disease permanently enlarged her, causing her to gain massive amounts of weight. And there are photographs of her and of her growth and the growths on her body due to this disease, elephantitis. Eventually, Mahala grew so big that she couldn't get through the door of her cabin. Literally could not get through the door of the cabin and rarely left her bed or a specially belt chair that she had inside the cabin. She was given the nickname Big Haley due to her large physical size. Various reports estimating her weight as somewhere between 400 and 700 pounds. That's a big lady. Now, according to news reports from the period, she gave birth to at least 18, maybe 20 children with her husband, John Mullins. I guess that lightning strike did old John more good than it did harm. Even though he survived a direct lightning strike, John Mullins later passed away. Upon his death, Mahala and the family had very few options for making additional money to provide for the needs and beyond what the family could grow and produce. Growing up in that community, she did know one thing that had been passed down to her and to her children. This was the ability to make moonshine. Mahala and family did not become what you would typically think of, a, of as a large-scale moonshining business for profit. The family made enough volume for small sales and passerbyers who would stop by for a quick drink from her tin dipper. One thing that set their product aside, though, from the others, was their special brew of a very popular apple brandy, openly selling it by the jug or by the drink from the community tin dipper that she kept near her chair. You come in, you see Mahala, drop down a couple of uh, coins, she'd let you have a shot from the Big Dipper. Now, she kept a jug or container of the apple brandy and whiskey beside her, along with a collection of tin cups and measures. Now, normally, when you went to get whiskey in this manner, you brought your own jug with you. Kind of the same way we used to pick up Coke bottles and take them and turn them in at the grocery store and get a nickel for them. Now, when you brought your own jug, the seller would measure out the volume of the liquid that you were purchasing and put it into the into your jug and you take it home. Now, it didn't take long for the local authorities to hear of 
Big Haley's popular but illegal operation. And it also didn't take long to issue a warrant for her arrest. Now this is where things got complicated. The Mullins cabin wasn't that hard to find. Everyone in the community knew where it was or how to direct an individual or a visitor right straight to it. And Mahala wasn't difficult to find either. Some stories will tell you that she had never been further than three to four miles away from her cabin in her entire life. Now at this time, Big Haley was confined to sitting in a chair or in her bed due to her enormous weight. Her children took care of her, making sure she was clean and fed. And she spent day and night unable to rise up under her own power because of her weight and the disfiguring from the elephantitis. Now this, of course, helped make it easier for her to be located. State revenuers made their way to the cabin on the hill way back in the countryside where there were no wagon roads leading to the cabin. You had to follow a trail and walk the entire way to get there. The cabin was up on top of a ridge where it was easily visible, but still a heck of a climb to get to. On arrival, the officers informed Big Haley of the charges being brought against her for illegally making and selling moonshine. Now, being the good woman she was, she cheerfully confessed to her guilt and offered to let them take her in to face the charges, after offering them a drink, of course. Unfortunately, there's no documentation either whether they took her up on that or if the drink was on the house or not. Anyway, that's when the revenuers realized they had a problem. It was obvious Big Haley was not faking. She could not get out of her chair. And it had gotten to the point she slept in her chair at night a lot of times. The officers were at a loss as to how to get her out of the house and back into town to face the charges. She was literally, she was too wide to fit through the door and even if they could get her up and carry her to the door, they couldn't bring her through it. Now, it wasn't like Big Haley didn't want to go. She was actually quite excited about the opportunity to go for a ride or take a short trip and go someplace new. Unable to move their prisoner, though, the revenue or men finally gave up and retreated off the mountain, humbled in their defeat. Well, the same scenario played out repeatedly with somewhere in the vicinity of a dozen warrants being issued for her over the years, with no one figuring out how to enforce them or bring her to the court. They would have had to take out a portion of one of the walls in the house to get her out. However, they weren't legally authorized to damage the home, is how they looked at it. Even if they had been able to remove her from the house, from her cabin, she lived at the top of a steep ridge and the nearest railroad head was 16 miles away, creating other lo logistical issues. Now it was during this time that a deputy had been assigned by the local sheriff to go with some of the unknowing revenuers and show them how to get to the cabin. Well, the deputy did. And later that evening, the deputy returned to the sheriff. And of course, he was empty-handed where the revenuers were. And the sheriff asked what happened. The deputy made the famous quote, 
by describing Big Haley as being catchable, but not fetchable. Now, to her credit, Big Harley never denied that she sold or that she would continue to sell her homebrew after the law enforcement officers left. She was very jovial, engaging, loquacious, and in other words, she liked to talk. She liked to have visitors. And she took advantage of that. She would talk. She would tell them about what was going on, how she made her uh, homebrew. Whatever the conversation was, she was just tickled to death to have it. Having been born and raised in a moonshining culture, she personally saw nothing morally or legally wrong with her side bit and continued to sell uh, whiskey up until her death at the age of 74. She passed away on September 10th, 1898. Now it's been said that when she did pass away, the chimney in the cabin had to be removed the chimney in the fireplace to make room to take the body out for burial. The big four-poster bed that she died in was boarded up and turned into her coffin. Runners were placed on the coffin and a team of oxen pulled the makeshift coffin out of the house and into the cemetery. Matter of fact, where she's buried, referred to as the Mahala Mullins Cemetery. Big Haley Mullins is said to be the most famous Mullungeon of all time, and as such has been the subject of many stories, legends, and tall tales through the years in the Hancock, Tennessee County area. And it seems appropriate that Big Haley Mullins, who was a large woman while she was living, turns out she's even bigger than life in her death. Now, if you want some more information, you can go online and uh, go look for Mahala's cabin. It's The cabin itself was built around 1855, occupied for about 100 years by members of the Mullins family. Eventually, of course, it got in real bad shape until it was purchased by the Vardy Historical Society. The cabin was moved to Blackwater Road and some of the relatives who traced their direct ancestry back to Big Haley. We'll tell you more from we'll tell you more about it. The entire cabin was taken apart and moved by transfer truck to where it's at today, making it easier to get to. The historical society took possession of the cabin in 2000, restored it and moved it on to into the valley where it could be visited by the public. Well, that's our story of the catchable but not fetchable moonshiner. Be sure to come back next Saturday for another Shade of Blue story here on Felon File. And if you'd like, don't forget, you can check out my books. They're available on Amazon and a few other locations around and about. Just ask for them. And they can also be picked up at and of course, your local bookstore can get them too. All you have to do is ask. You can check out our website, scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com on the internet. Where you can reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email through one of the contact pages there. Send us an email at felonfile at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
and we do get some great tips and suggestions about stuff to research and some of the interesting stories in the Appalachian Mountains that not everybody's aware of but are some fantastic stories. You can also check out on our webpage our stuff page where you can pick up a felon file coffee mug or a felon file t-shirt where you can let people know where you've been picking up your stories that you've been sharing with them which at least I hope you're sharing some of these stories with some of your friends and associates. Well, until we come back next Saturday, remember, if you have the opportunity, be good to somebody. Help somebody out. It's the right thing to do. Victoria, I'm turning the control board back to you. Close us out, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felon File Podcast with your host, Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, or Scott's books and writings go to scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com. Scott can also be contacted at these websites. Be sure to check out the stuff page on the website. Pick up a Felon File t-shirt, or coffee mug. You can also support the Felon File podcast by buying us a coffee from the link on the website. This is Victoria your producer. Thank you for listening. Music from Upbeat is free for creators. Upbeat.io. License code GFU2CPOTAUCJKMN5. 2. 1. End.